What will you remember about 2020? We have therefore made the assessment that COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. Welcome to World vs. Virus, a podcast from the World Economic Forum that aims to make sense of the COVID-19 outbreak. On this special episode, we look back on 2020, a year that will be remembered for giving the world the COVID pandemic, but will also be remembered for Donald Trump. Hi, perhaps you recognize me. It's your favorite president. Black Lives Matter. And for Brexit. Get Brexit done uh, with our deal, which is ready to go. Oven ready, slam it in the microwave. It's there. Join me and my special guest, CNN correspondent, Eleni Jokos, as we look back on the big issues of the year. Our house is still on fire. Your inaction is fueling the flames by the hour. Subscribe to World vs. Virus on Apple, SoundCloud, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And please take a moment to like, rate and review. But while I may be the first woman in this office, I will not be the last. I'm Robin Pomeroy, digital editor at the World Economic Forum. And with a look back on the news of 2020... Will you shut up, man? Listen, who is on your list, Joe? This Who's is on your so list? Right. Gentlemen, this, this is so unprecedented. This is World Versus Virus. 2020 is almost over, and to look back on this extraordinary year, I'm joined by Eleni Jokos, CNN correspondent based in Johannesburg. Eleni, so glad to have you here. How are you? Really delighted to join you today, um, and great to be with you as we reflect back on one of the toughest, most volatile years in our generation, I would say. Absolutely. You and I have looked back on news clips. We're going to be sharing clips from the World Economic Forum, from CNN coverage, and and from elsewhere around the world of a year that has been entirely dominated by COVID-19, but which also, obviously, lots of other things happened as well. And so we're going to be looking at them. But I'll say right at the start, this is going to be a selection, a kind of a taster, an illustration of the year. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about, actually, because it's been really busy, hasn't it? It has. And we're going to we're going to struggle to squeeze everything in. But let's start with COVID. And let's go back to the start of 2020 in January, when no one, literally no one had heard of COVID because that term hadn't been coined yet. But the virus was known by some people. I don't know if you remember when you started to become aware of it. I do remember, I was in Davos at the World Economic Forum's annual meeting. Do you remember when you first became aware of it? Yeah, I, I, you know, I was in New York City at the time. And in fact, I was uh, you know, doing shows from New York for CNN. And uh, we actually covered the story. And it was pretty phenomenal because it felt very localized. It felt like, okay, this is a Chinese problem. But then we started seeing sort of the correlations being drawn and the potential of it being sort of a global problem and a phenomenon like SARS. And it started to really hit home. But I don't think anybody took it that seriously in the beginning. Absolutely. So this is a clip from the Davos annual meeting of the World Economic Forum, where Everyone was talking about the the huge issues of the day and it was coming apparent that there was this virus in China and maybe this was the big one that people have been warning about for years. Let's hear what they said in that press conference. We are here today to discuss an unfolding situation that of a novel coronavirus 
the Wuhan virus. It is named because it first appeared in December in a seafood market in Wuhan, the largest city in Hebei province in central China, with a population of 11 million. So it has been compared to SARS, which caused the deaths of nearly 650 people across mainland China. And to date, we have already had more than 570 cases and 17 reported deaths. Just today, a few hours ago, Singapore, where I'm from, announced its first confirmed case. Now we are sort of the end of January, so we are about six weeks into this outbreak. This virus can now clearly spread between humans. It's spread by the respiratory tract. That means that uh, somebody with symptoms would have a cough, a sore throat, and would pass it to somebody else by coughing or sneezing in the same way that influenza is, is, uh, is spread around people. So that was the press conference. I was in the room next door to that, and I remember it happening and thinking, mm, should I be paying attention to this? We were busy, everyone was busy. It was like, well, there have been these infections, there have been these bird flus, or localised terrible, terrible um, diseases like Ebola in West Africa. But as you said, they remained localised, and thank God they were, they were contained. But there was just this suggestion, and that's all it was this, towards the end of January, that this one actually perhaps partly because it wasn't as deadly as Ebola, could actually get out and spread around the world. Well, the rest is history. Now, the next clip we're going to hear is from, from CNN. Eleni, can you tell us what's happening here? Yeah, I mean, look, CNN at the time um, rushed to ground zero, and that was Wuhan. And we had done so much coverage about this market, this fresh meat and food market, and our team were uh, embedded in that city. And then suddenly they got a phone call at three o'clock in the morning saying the government is going to be taking drastic and aggressive action to try and curb the spread and shutting down. So our team then rushed um, out and we were able to report on the flurry of people that went to the train station to try and get themselves out of the city in the nick of time. And I think the world watched on at that point and said, listen, if China is literally shutting down an entire city, something is going on. And, and this is bigger than we had anticipated. And I think that's when it really hit home. Um, and I think governments around the world started paying a lot more attention. A rush checkout sparked by a 3 a.m. phone call. We headed to the train station as soon as we got word. The city of Wuhan, China, essentially going on lockdown. Officials set a deadline for 10 o'clock Thursday morning. All public transportation, including airports, highways, and train stations, to halt service out of the city. A drastic effort to contain the spreading and deadly coronavirus. As we arrived, crowds already lined up for tickets, stretching out the door. This gives you an idea of how seriously people are taking this idea to leave Wuhan and get out before public transportation is strictly limited. So that dramatically showed um, the CNN team trying to get out, you know, the last train from Wuhan. Eventually, the World Health Organization called this a pandemic, which meant that was a global infection. Everyone had to pay attention. It's been difficult. I just wanted to select a couple of clips. I mean, from the thousands, from the countless coverage from around the world of a disease, which at this point, as we're recording on Friday, the 18th of December, according to Johns Hopkins Coronavirus Resource Center, confirmed cases of past 75 million deaths, 1.66 million around the world. So here's a clip 
from, uh, again, a CNN clip from a hospital in London. I've held uh, a telephone to the ear of a, of a gentleman who was, who was dying so that his wife could speak to him. He was sedated, but we would always assume someone can hear you. If the nurse is looking after the patient, will sit and hold their hand as they pass away as well. So they're always with someone. When my colleagues confessed, that they were scared. I confessed. I said, I'm scared too. So that was a hospital in London very early on in the pandemic. Let's go from the developed world to the developing world. This one, the pictures of this were really shocking to me, Eleni. This was um, from a hospital car park, actually outside a hospital in Ecuador. On March 31st, his dad, Flavio, couldn't breathe. After being turned away at 10 different hospitals because they were full, Ramos said his dad was finally admitted at the 11th. Flavio was placed in a wheelchair like this one and taken to a room with no bed. There were two dead bodies already inside. It's like a war It's like a war There's a lot of people dying and no one's taking care of them. Flavio died the next day. On his death certificate, it says he died of acute respiratory failure, likely due to COVID-19. But like so many others in Guayaquil, Flavio was never tested because the healthcare system has all but collapsed. I mean, what's interesting about both of these clips is that the world was literally united in dealing with a global pandemic that even impacted advanced economies and advanced healthcare um, infrastructure and capacity was not even enough to deal with the rise in cases and with the devastation. And from the developing economies to the developed economies, it was the same problem. And of course, a lot more pronounced in countries and low income countries and middle income countries that didn't have the resources to dealing with the loss of human life where people were dying by themselves in isolation. Um, And it was incredible to see this kind of reporting over that time. Yeah, it leaves you speechless, really, the, the human suffering of that. And But of course, the pandemic had a huge economic hit and also a huge political hit as well. No one can say for sure what impact the pandemic had on elections, for example. Um, from New Zealand to the USA, which leads us handily to another story of the year, which is something that's been a story for the last four years, Donald Trump. Um, So it's been a year that will be remembered for him as well as for COVID-19. Now, he also was in Davos uh, at that meeting in January. And And just hold on, Robin, I have to ask you, because he came, this was, you know, arriving in Davos, it was kind of a game changer, wasn't it? And it was it was kind of an exciting moment because I think everyone wanted to hear what you know Donald Trump had to say um, at at the at the meeting. Um, but who would have thought? Because we were we were talking about impeachment at the time. There were so many other political issues. There were other geopolitical problems that were coming up. And then you know it it literally just moved into a question of leadership and how to deal with COVID. There were such huge changes um, at that time. Tell me the the difference between what you heard happening in Davos and the talk in Davos around Donald Trump versus a few months later. It must have been fascinating for you to have experienced that kind of difference. Well, he came to Davos very um, optimistic, full of the message was, we've made America great again. Obviously, 
there was no coronavirus in America at that time. He didn't have that to deal with. Actually, what it was billed as, though, his speech, one of the main points of it, and this was referenced, I looked at the CNN coverage from it, um, was what he was going to say about the environment and climate change, because Greta Thunberg, the um, teenage activist, was also there. And I don't know if you coined the phrase CNN, but they called it, they were expecting a scowl off between the two of them. Well, so I've got clips from Donald Trump, who gave no quarter on climate. This is not a time for pessimism. This is a time for optimism. Fear and doubt is not a good thought process because this is a time for tremendous hope and joy and optimism and action. But to embrace the possibilities of tomorrow, we must reject the perennial prophets of doom and their predictions of the apocalypse. They are the heirs of yesterday's foolish fortune tellers, and I have them and you have them and we all have them. And they want to see us do badly, but we don't let that happen. They predicted an overpopulation crisis in the 1960s, mass starvation in the 70s, and an end of oil in the 1990s. These alarmists always demand the same thing, absolute power to dominate, transform, and control every aspect of our lives. We will never let radical socialists destroy our economy, wreck our country, or eradicate our liberty. America will always be the proud, strong, an unyielding bastion of freedom. And this was Greta. This is not about right or left. We couldn't care less about your party politics. From a sustainability perspective, the right, the left, as well as the center have all failed. No political ideology or economic structure has been able to tackle the climate and environmental emergency and create a cohesive and sustainable world. Because that world, in case you haven't noticed, is currently on fire. You say children shouldn't worry. You say, just leave this to us. We will fix this. We promise we won't let you down. Don't be so pessimistic. And then, nothing. Silence, or something worse than silence. Empty words and promises which give the impression that sufficient action is being taken. Our house is still on fire. Your inaction is fueling the flames by the hour. And we are telling you to act as if you loved your children above all else. Thank you. And isn't it interesting, I mean, to see the, the conversation that really just centred around a teenager and the President of the United States. Climate change was in the news at the start of the year, not least because of the enormous bushfires burning across Australia. Again, an unprecedented bushfire. The bushfire season has started again now. And throughout 2020, there are extreme weather events happening across the world. Here's a clip that I found from that you gave to me from CNN uh, about a drought in East Africa where they're very used to water shortages, but where they say climate change means these uh, water shortages are getting more frequent and even more severe. 
Even in the best of times, this inhospitable land has made life difficult for its people. For many, the changing climate has now made it impossible. More than two-thirds of the livestock died in the most recent killer drought, turning tens of thousands of pastoralists into climate refugees, living in makeshift camps for years, with no way out in sight. Mother of seven, Europe's Suleiman lost her entire herd of 200 goats two years ago. I have never worried for the life of my children, how to feed them, how to look after them, she says. This was the worst drought I have ever seen. We are touching it, it is there. Um, climate change is real. In Somaliland, it's real. The climate change issue in Africa is, is something that I think the world is taking note of because there's a direct correlation between the um, impact of climate change, the way it impacts herders and the agriculture sector and the livelihoods of many people and how that actually breeds terrorism in the most remote areas because people look for some kind of income. And in fact, you have terrorist organizations that take advantage of the climate crisis. And I really suspect that going into the next year, the, the question on climate is going to be one that is going to be taken a lot more seriously. Um, and I think, you know, when we, when we see how the conversation has shifted, specifically over the pandemic, perhaps now's the time. Yeah, a good point. I think governments around the world are starting to look at climate change in terms of national security, as well as its impacts on everything else it's impacting on. So, I mean, this was meant to be a big year for climate action. This was the year that was going to be COP26, Conference of the Parties, to the UN Climate Convention, five years after the Paris Accord, and it was going to take place in Glasgow. Because of the pandemic, it was postponed. It's actually going to happen at the end of next year. But meanwhile, action has gone on. All the, A lot of countries have uh, set targets for zero carbon, including even China, which is amazing. And also you've got Joe Biden, the president-elect in the United States, also talking about setting a net zero emissions target. I mean, I've been following climate change for a couple of decades now, and this action is extremely late, but it's starting to look more serious now, although there have been false dawns before. You're listening to World vs. Virus with a look back on the news of 2020. We'll be right back after this news of another World Economic Forum podcast. It's bigger than a dinosaur, that uh, breath and size and beauty and power are like nothing else that's ever lived on a planet. This week on House on Fire, whales. We consider them what's called ecosystem engineers, which means that they engineer their own habitats. We know that the percentage of whales that we see that have died from ship strike is severely underrepresenting the, the true number. With whales dying in their thousands from ship strikes, we look at the ingenious solutions being developed to help keep them safe. We have a real obligation to figure out how to see commerce and human activity spin up in the oceans in a way that doesn't uh, step on all the wildness. It seemed to me that acoustics would be a good way to try to tackle this because there is the question of how do you know that the animals are there. One of the skill sets that I have is using that information to predict into the future where we think species are going to be. If the chance to feel small by a whale at sea was lost, that would, that would be something special. 
on our planet that we would have no more and that we don't want to lose. That's House on Fire from the World Economic Forum. Welcome back to World vs. Virus, where CNN correspondent Eleni Jokos is helping me look back on the events that shaped 2020. So let's get back to Donald Trump and back to the main story here, which is the pandemic. Uh, This, for me, um, is a moment that I think will be remembered as an iconic soundbite from 2020. Supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light. And I think you said that hasn't been checked, but you're going to test it. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, which you can do either through the skin or uh, in some other way. And I think you said you're going to test that, too. Sounds interesting. Right. Right. And then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or or almost a cleaning? Because you see it gets on the lungs and it does a tremendous number of the lungs, so it'd be interesting to check that, so that you're going to have to use medical doctors with. But it sounds it sounds interesting to me. And of course, Donald Trump contracted the, the virus himself. We had uh, Boris Johnson did, uh, Emmanuel Macron now. Um, but this is Trump after he came out of hospital and what he had to say about that. Hi, perhaps you recognize me. It's your favorite president. And I'm standing in front of the Oval Office at the White House which is always an exciting place to be. I got back a day ago from Walter Reed Medical Center. I spent four days there and didn't have to. I could have stayed at the White House, but the doctor said, because you're president, let's do it. I said, fine. And so, Eleni, did you watch any of the presidential debates? Because they are something that either entertain or outrageous around the world. Those of us who aren't U.S. voters I've seen a few of them in my time, but I've never seen anything quite like this yeah. year's. I mean, entertaining. Um, it was uh, was it was a total spectacle. And to be honest, watching from South Africa has been it was been it's been very illuminating, in the sense that leadership in the U.S. has always been a beacon for other leaders, um, especially on the African continent. Vote now. Are you pack the Make court? sure you, in fact, let people know you're a senator. I'm not going to answer the question Why because you answer that because question? the you question is the question Supreme is the radical question, left. Will you shut who is up, on, man? Listen, who is on your list, Joe? This Who's is on your so list? Right. Gentlemen, I think this we've is ended so this. He's going to pack the court. We have en- no, no, no. Give a list. We have ended this segment. We're going to move on to the second segment. That was really a pr- productive segment, wasn't it? <laughs> Keep yapping, man. The people understand you. And so then we came to election night. And this was Donald Trump coming out well, as the votes were being counted. The United States, Donald J. Trump. This is a fraud on the American public. This is an embarrassment to our country. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. But of course, that was premature, and everyone knew that votes were going to be counted for hours, indeed days. People at the time were talking about possibly weeks after. It didn't take quite that long. And we came to the point where why don't we listen to the CNN's announcement of calling it, calling the presidential race for one or other of the candidates. After four long, tense days, we've reached a historic moment in this election. We can now project the winner of the presidential race. 
CNN projects Joseph R. Biden Jr. is elected the 46th president of the United States, winning the White House and denying President Trump a second term. Look, and then what followed was denial. Um, and it was interesting because we looked at the, the conversations and just what um, the Trump administration had been talking about for months before the elections, you know, talking about mail-in ballots and talking about fraud and, and you know, raising these flags prior to the elections. And then seeing the denial that came through um, and we're still pretty much stuck in the middle of this. We're starting to see a few Republicans just at saying, okay, you know, the Biden administration yes, and starting. Congratulations. Congra exactly. So yeah. it, and, and some world leaders took, took a while to congratulate Biden and, and Kamala Harris. It's been illuminating, I have to say. Yeah, yes. Well, the word, the word of the year, and we'll get to words of the year later, I think, um, but one of them has to be unprecedented. Let's stay in America for a while, but change the topic from the politics. Um, as well as the pandemic, another issue that was going on in the background or very often in the foreground was race relations, particularly after the killing of George Floyd, who was a black man who died while a white police officer's knee was on his neck for something like eight minutes. It was an event that would reverberate around the world. Here's a clip from a friend of George Floyd who was at the scene in Minneapolis Interviewed by CNN. I saw my brother take his last breath. The world saw him take his last breath. He was dead before he left the scene. Black Lives Matter is a phrase that we've all come to know. It's been painted on the street outside the White House. How's it viewed from Africa? Well, it definitely resonates in many different ways. And it's such a good question because I think the, um, the issue on how African-Americans are treated is you know, a reflection of what still goes on in a post-apartheid world in South Africa, in some parts of the country. And it definitely does manifest itself, even in many countries on the continent, in um, the likes of police brutality. And I think on the continent, in Africa as well, people are watching this very closely. And again, I say this, and I, I really think that a lot of people feel this way, is that the United States is a beacon um, it's an example. Not unrelated. By the end of the year, we we know that we're going to have a black vice president. Let's hear from Kamala Harris. And to the woman most responsible for my presence here today, my mother, Shamala Gopalan Harris, who is always in our hearts. Uh, when she came here from India at the age of 19, she maybe um, didn't quite imagine this moment. But she believed so deeply in an America where a moment like this is possible. And so I am thinking about her and about the generations of women, black women, Asian, white, Latina, Native American women, who throughout our nation's history have paved the way for this moment tonight. But while I may be the first woman in this office, I will not be the last. That's Kamala Harris's acceptance speech. Although, again, as we record on the 18th of December, still no concession from the incumbent in the White House. 
Let's turn our attention to my country, if I can indulge myself for a while, and to Brexit, like the Australian bushfires, which bookended the year. 2020 began with and will end with Brexit, because Brexit actually did happen. Amazingly, a lot of people, either in Britain or around the world, might not know this. Britain is no longer a member of the European Union, but we remained in a transition period, so all the rules and regulations stayed the same in terms of immigration or trade. And what's happening now is there are a few days left for the UK government to strike a trade deal with the biggest trading bloc in the world. Let's hear how Boris Johnson was approaching this as he was running for election just before, a couple of months before the start of this year. Uh, get Brexit done uh, with our deal, which is ready to go, oven ready, slam it in the microwave, it's there. Do it, get it done in days uh, and take the country forward. Let's get Brexit done and unleash the potential of this whole country. See you later. So that sounded easy. Boris Johnson, the lead campaigner for Brexit, had told the British people they had nothing to fear and everything to gain from pulling out of the EU. And there was no chance that we would have to jettison our trading relationship with the EU. But as a few days left, the latest news is everyone saying there won't be a deal. I don't know. Eleni, if you've been following this, how interested you are from South Africa in Brexit? From the African perspective, the UK has... Um, you know, they, they were on a roadshow, an Africa-wide roadshow, to try and secure um, trade deals. Uh, the EU had to then secure trade deals with some new, some African countries. So it was the rejigging of these trade deals. And let me tell you, they're not easily done. So what they did was just copy and paste and say, OK, we're going to try and just mimic what we have and just split these trade deals. Um, I think it's interesting watching on where Africa is trying to create a unified trading block, the continental free trade area. And you're seeing a reversal of it in the EU uh, through the UK's exit. Um, very different approach to the next few years. Um, and I think, I mean, look, we've been waiting in anticipation of what a, a Brexit would look like. We're, I guess we're still waiting. Look, it's your country, Robin. So you have to tell, you have to help me out here. Like, what are we going to expect? I don't know, because by the time people are listening to this, they'll know what the answer is. I have some ideas, I, I, <laughs> but I'm not, going to put, I'm not going to put them down here. I mean, yeah, trade has been, like back, thinking back to that Davos meeting, trade was one of the major issues because that was when one of the biggest threats to global economic growth seemed to be the emerging trade war between the USA and China. Of course, that the importance of that was blown away by them by the pandemic. But that's still going to be an important issue. Um, how much the world wants free trade, how much it retreats into nationalism. Um, and yes, indeed, in Africa, isn't it any day now that, that the first kind of pan-African trade deal comes into effect? Exactly. So it's supposed to come li go live in January. In fact, it's been delayed because of the pandemic. But it's truly exciting because imagine you know 55 countries having completely different trade deals among among each other now finally you're going to have one standardized process when i say a standardized process implementation is going to be key here so i'm curious to see what that's going to look like but you're absolutely right trade has been on the the agenda and it's been the priority item when it comes to global growth and in fact 
the trade war between China and the US impacted African growth. And that's why there was this big push to look inwards to create a, a stronger trading block. To give you an idea, intra-Africa trade is sitting at 15%. Juxtapose that against the EU's uh, intra-regional uh, trade, which is sitting at about between 60 and 70%. Um, I think it's going to be a, a, a really big push for economic growth in, in the time of immense uncertainty by uh, due to the pandemic. It's much easier for a lot of African countries to trade with countries outside of Africa than it is to trade with their neighbours within Africa. And that's what this deal seeks to change. And I wonder whether also politically, as Africa becomes the resurgent continent of this of this century, in terms of its economic growth, and in terms of its population growth, whether we will see Africa acting ever more as a block in the way that Europe has done since the Second World War. Well, we're hoping to learn lessons and, you know, learn from your mistakes in the EU, by the way, um, and things that didn't work. Um, so I, I think that's kind of the sentiment, but you're absolutely right. It's quicker to bring in goods into Africa through ports, um, you know, uh, from China, for example, and Europe and from the US than to do trade among each other. So I think politically there has to be will. Everyone's, you know, most countries have ratified this um, new uh, agreement. And I, I really think that it could potentially propel the continent um, to new economic heights and then kind of living up to this expectation that Africa is the last economic frontier. But I have to say that the economic fallout of the pandemic has been so extreme and so devastating, specifically for low-income countries, specifically for African countries. And Robin, when I see the amount of money, the trillions of dollars that have been thrown by advanced economies in dealing with the pandemic, juxtapose that against what African countries have done. Um, that is where the, the big question of inequalities have really been highlighted and accentuated, right? Because you, you then you realize that we, when we talk about inequality, it doesn't happen only you know, at a social level. It happens at country level. Um, and I wonder what it's going to take to even the playing field. It's a really good point. I think the idea of inequality that has been exposed by the pandemic, it's been dramatic um, across the world, the inequality between countries, but also within countries, within even cities, street by street, on the way different demographics have been hit by this pandemic in a different way, depending on income level or ethnic background. It's really been an eye-opener, I think. That's another thing we've learnt. For some of us, that's been a a steep learning curve in 2020. So as I mentioned at the start of this episode, we're not, we can't cover all the things that have happened in the year, far from it. And let's remember that some of these big events, particularly the pandemic, has knocked so many other things off the front pages. So the wars in places like Syria and Yemen are still going on. We're not going to try to cover all of those, indeed any of them, but I just thought I'd pick out a clip here from a story that doesn't really have anything to do with the pandemic or any of the other things that we were talking of, but this will be remembered, one of the few news stories that will be remembered, I think, from the year. This was on the 4th of August in Beirut, when out of the blue was a huge explosion. It felt like an earthquake followed by a huge blast that blew out uh, the windows in this 
what was once our studio and the window frames as well. Just uh, panning the camera around, you can get an idea of the level of damage uh, that happened. And this damage, of course, is duplicated throughout much of central Beirut and in fact kilometers uh, from here. I've spoken to people in the neighborhood of Jamezi, which is closer to the port, uh, told me of a scene of total destruction where all the windows were blown out, car windows uh, were shadowed, no, shattered. We understand that the hospitals are overwhelmed at this point uh, with the wounded. They are calling for people to donate blood. And that was the CNN coverage of that explosion in Beirut, which just tore the heart out of that magnificent city and is having political repercussions that are still to be resolved. Now to something that you you mentioned you wanted to raise, Eleni, and I'm very glad you did. And this was the issue of fake news or misinformation, which I'm delighted to talk about because the last episode of Will vs. Virus, and I urge all our listeners to look back and listen to it, was about the infodemic, which was a phrase used by the World Health Organization right at the start of the pandemic. The idea that we're all getting our news from online. Is it true? How do we know it's true? The rumors, the conspiracies. This year has been the year when fake news just came to adulthood, wouldn't you say? I know. Look, I'm 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 laughing, but also I'm traumatized from the amount of conspiracies that people around me have discussed, and I think it's really infiltrated our lives um, at such a deep level. And you know, from as you say, you know, is this a real pandemic? You know, was this um, a sinister move by one government to hurt another, and then it just became a global issue? You know, oh, my favorite, um, you know, if you get the vaccination, you're going to be injected with a microchip. I mean, honestly, the types, the type of things that have really emerged from the depths of social media and from the from the Internet um, goes to show that that more now more than ever, listening to logic, listening to voices, understanding science, knowing how to differentiate between um, opinion and conspiracies is really going to be important. And, and remember, the, the, the big fight against media has been going on for a very long time, for, for many years now. Uh, and, and to be honest with you, it's been tough because it emerges in the most peculiar of places, even sometimes around dinner tables. So facts come first, and we should remember that. And take everything you read on Facebook with a pinch of salt, I would say. Absolutely. Well, here's a clip from um, the World Economic Forum podcast, Will vs. Virus, featuring the head of communications for the United Nations, Melissa Fleming. We're seriously in an information environment that is polluted, and we need to clean up the pollution. Um, we, The public needs sources of information that they can trust, and they need public figures that who they can trust. And we saw a huge spike in misinformation about the vaccine. Um, I mean, we'd already heard the crazy um, conspiracies that were already brewing um, about, you know, Bill Gates installing chips in, in, <laughs> into people so he could control the world. And, and uh, you know, that this, this the, it, it, it was already part of the conspiracy theories that were going around. And now we've heard even you know, new ones have, have sprung up around the 
the new COVID-19 vaccine, that it would change your DNA, all kinds of you know crazy things. Melissa Fleming from the United Nations. Now, you sent me a clip. This was tremendous. You mentioned you're laughing, but also crying at the infodemic and the fake news and the conspiracies. This is a tremendous clip from CNN. Do you remember this one, Eleni? This is... Sleepy Joe Biden, which was a meme going around. I wasn't even aware of this one, but let's hear someone being interviewed by CNN who was convinced that was a real clip. So Trump, his campaign, a lot of senior Republicans over the past few weeks have been sharing doctored and manipulated videos on social media. Now, the Trump campaign and Trump supporters will often say these videos are clearly jokes. They are memes. People know they're memes. People know they're fake. When they say... Well, this is fact-checked. It's wrong because it's taken out of context. Like when Joe Biden fell asleep during a live interview on television. <laughs> Claimed that he fell asleep. I think that was an edited one, right? That was... I didn't think it was. It looked pretty live to me with no cuts in it. Joining us live this morning from New York. Hey, good morning. Wake up. Yes, wake up, wake up. Okay. <laughs> this is your wake up call. <laughs> is this the video that you're talking about? Could be, yeah. Biden falling Should I watch it really quick? Sure. So this is Washington Post. Uh, <laughs> so an article there is saying that, that it that it was faked, but it looked real, right? I mean it looked real. Well, I mean I definitely wouldn't doubt that it would happen. So the Trump supporter um, was reluctant to admit that he, uh, you know, had not done enough research. Well, he'd been taken in. He just, he just assumed. Yeah, totally. And then he says, well, and he, then it was the funniest thing because then he was like, well, look, you know, even if it's not true, Joe Biden is capable. So it's interesting how it just plants seeds of discontent and it just feeds into this narrative of, um, you know, you know, believing fake, fake, fake news. Let's move on from that. Let's go. Let's get to the bit we'll call. And finally, let's lift the lift the tone a bit. I have a quiz for you on the most Google searched terms of the year. Should we should we go to that one first? Or? I think we should go to that one. I haven't actually searched because I wanted to go cold on this. So you've got um, a fresh subject. Here. OK, great. So OK, I'm just going to pull it up here because this is a live document from Google's um, trends.google.com slash trends is the year in search. This is great fun. Okay, should we start with the world? What was the one word, that's a clue in itself, that was the most searched in the world this year? Probably COVID. Very close, but very I'm, close. But re- pandemic, coronavirus. <laughs> coronavirus, third time lucky. Yes, coronavirus <laughs> was the most searched in the world. Um, do you want to have a try for number two? Yeah, so I would say how to use Zoom. Oh, that's, that's like number that. four. Zoom is Oh, really? Zoom is okay, so yeah. How to unmute myself? I don't uh, know. <laughs> um, I'll tell you, the other big story that we've talked about in this podcast is number two, possibly. Trump, well, right? It's, yeah, Donald it's, Trump actually, news it's actually election results, which is interesting. Ah, because especially as some people seem to differ as to what they think the facts were on that. Um, I'll tell you what the others were. Number three was Kobe Bryant, of course, the great basketball star who died um, very early this year in a in an aircraft crash. 
And the fifth one, you would never guess, was uh, IPL. Do you know what IPL is? I have not. What is IPL? IPL is the, I think it's the Indian, yeah, the Indian Premier League. Oh! Which just shows you. Um, So unless, (laughs) unless you're in India or near India... IPL maybe doesn't mean that much, particularly in countries that don't play cricket. My country does play cricket, but... Uh, yeah, I was going to say it's cricket, right? But I mean, you threw me off. I was like, is this another acronym I should yeah. know? But interesting, I mean, look, um, India's population is enormous, so I'm not surprised that they, you know, were Googling this. Exactly. So and you know, possibly the biggest sport in the world. We always think it's soccer, but <laughs> no, the two sports in the top five there, one is basketball and the other one's cricket. Okay. You know, as a South African, I should know that because we, we play cricket, yeah. Right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quiz you then on... On Africa, let me see. No, there's no Africa on here, but there is South Africa, if I can find it. All right, so give us your number one then for South Africa, bearing in mind it's not might ne- not necessarily be about South Africa. <laughs> oh, no, I don't know. Trump? No, Corona- coronavirus. No. I, coronavirus, I think, oh, so it's coronavirus. I, I think it's pretty yeah. much every country's okay. coronavirus. And I don't know whether they've okay, amalgamated two, COVID though? and pandemic or anything else. Um, number two, U.S. elections update. It says here rather than result. Ah, I wasn't that far yeah. off there. Number three, and this is again one you won't know if you're not from the place. The Sasol share price. What's that? Oh wow, mm-hmm. that is interesting. So it's one of the blue chip stocks in South Africa, and it had devastating earnings this year because it just spent so much money in the United States on a massive chemical project there and it fell off a cliff. And we're all exposed to it because it's in our pension funds and everyone, I mean, it's it's just one of those, it's, it's basically an oil and gas company. So interesting. Wow. Okay. That is illuminating. Sassel, and I'll give you numbers four and five. Level three lockdown South Africa. Oh, so here's another thing. We had just different levels of lockdown. We we couldn't move outside of our house for seven weeks and we weren't allowed to drink and we weren't allowed to smoke. So there was no alcohol purchased uh, allowed. Um, and, and over that time, it was, I mean, you couldn't buy wine, to put it simply. You couldn't even buy wine online. Um, <laughs> so I think everyone is trying to figure out like when the level three lockdown, is that when I can actually finally buy alcohol? Are you still so in level three? time. No, we're cool. Okay. We're fine. So no, we're... <laughs> people obviously Google it enough during the year. Number five is Children's Day. What, what's that in South Africa? Yeah, so we have a big problem with gender-based violence in South Africa. Um, and Children's Day is a really big one for us. So, um, yeah, we, we have a lot of social issues. We should do another podcast on South Africa, actually, Robert. Definitely. <laughs> I'm just going to look at the US. I bet coronavirus is number one. It's just loading up here. No, it's number two in the USA, wow. would you believe? So number one has to be the election results. There it the is. Election number results. three is Absolutely. Kobe Bryant. Number four is coronavirus update. And number five is coronavirus <laughs> symptoms. So I'm guessing if you add all those together, actually, that is number one, probably. But I didn't wow. make up this. That's If you're interested in that, trends.google.com slash trends or just Google what was trending in 2020. Eleni, do you have any words of the year? Unprecedented, agile, um, lockdown. There are so many. I think that's even dominated our scripts at CNN where I'm like, I need to find synonyms for some words because I feel like we've just been you know, quite repetitive in the way that we've been covering a few things. Definitely. Especially on the African business front. Yeah, definitely. The word unprecedented. I've been trying to avoid <laughs> using that since about, yeah. I think actually the first episode of World vs. Virus, which went out at the end of March, was called unprecedented oh. <laughs> which, which and new oh, new normal pivots the pivot the new normal i mean you know i mean yeah so a whole year of, of cliches 
Oh, oh, I have an and finally, and finally, I almost forgot. So if there's a light at the end of the pandemic tunnel, maybe that light is the vaccine or indeed vaccines. Who would have thought that within less than a year from that press conference I played you right at the start, we'd have two, maybe three viable viruses that are actually going out right now. And again, you could raise the question of inequality and the access that's going to be happening to this around the world. But let's celebrate the fact, the massive achievement that's been. Now, I looked up to see um, the first recipient of the Pfizer vaccine, who was um, Margaret Keenan on December the 8th in the UK, 91-year-old. But she doesn't say anything in the clip, so it doesn't make for great audio. So here is Sir Ian McKellen. Um, and uh, I used to go to his pub when I lived in London in Limehouse. If you're ever there on a Monday night and the pubs <sighs> are open, head down to the Grapes, go to Sir Ian's pub quiz. He's usually there. Obviously not now because pubs are mostly closed. They're certainly closed in London at the moment. But anyway, so my former neighbour... Sir Ian McKellen getting his coronavirus vaccine. Let's have a listen, but, but we'll play out with that. But Eleni, thanks so much for joining us. Um, it's, it's been a delight and uh, I hope we can do something like this again. Yeah, I hope to see you soon, very soon. And you know what? Here's another trend. Children coming in on conversations. Isn't that fantastic, Robert? It is. I think that our families have been involved in everything we do, even with CEOs that I've interviewed. What a pleasure, Robert, yeah. to speak uh, to you. So this is our cell to, to say hello and goodbye. Hello. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Take care, Robin. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks so much, Eleni. I am feeling so happy and relieved and optimistic and everything that I haven't been really feeling for a long time now. I couldn't be happier. Mm. I point out to people, this isn't the first time that theatres have been closed. During Shakespeare's lifetime, because of the bubonic plague, the theatres were shut, often for a year at a time. And during one of those breaks, uh, Shakespeare, not able to act, wrote uh, three plays, Antony and Cleopatra, Macbeth and King Lear. That's what he did with his uh, lockdown, so that could be an inspiration. And then the, during, the, during the war, uh, theatres closed, particularly in London during the Blitz, but we sprang back. I would encourage everybody to, to, to do the sensible thing, not just for themselves, but for everybody else, because if, if you're vi uh, virus-free, then uh, that helps everybody else, doesn't it? Sir Ian McKellen. You can find all our coverage of COVID-19 at weform.org and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, TikTok, YouTube and on Twitter using the handle at WEF. Thanks to Eleni Jokos for joining me in this episode and thanks as ever to Gareth Nolan for help putting it all together. Thanks to you for listening and remember you can find all our podcasts at weforum.ch slash podcasts and why not join the World Economic Forum Podcast Club? Just search for that on Facebook. Speaking of podcasts, I leave you with this. The future is not preordained. We're, we've been dealt a, a hand. We accept that. We will do our best to play that hand and make sure that our future is ordained the way we view it to be ordained. How will you play the cards you're dealt? That's the big question in this week's Meet the Leader with Deloitte Global CEO Puneet Renjan. He'll explain how we can all shape our destiny and how that sort of thinking is helping Deloitte do its part to tackle big challenges such as the effects of climate change and bridging opportunity gaps for millions around the world. He'll also share the sensible advice he didn't take and the traits that all resilient leaders need. 
All that and more on the World Economic Forum podcast, Meet the Leader. I'm your host, Linda Lucina. Listen wherever you get your favorite podcasts.